How many of you, hands up, do your driving test? Didn't pass the first time. How many of you has ever had to resat, resit an exam? Probably I had to redo English. I can't even say resat or resit. How many of you have ever fallen out with someone in a relationship and then gone and apologized or they've apologized to you and that relationship has been restored and you're still friends? How many of you have played sports like tennis and you needed to use a second serve because the first one didn't go in? Come on, hands up, hands up, hands up. Yes, you're in church, you've got to be honest. How many of you play golf and you struck the ball and it went flying off into the trees and no one was watching and you thought, oh, let me do that again. Oh, I'm the only one. All right, okay. How many of you have ever taken a second penalty because the first one you missed? Oh, only two of us. Add a second chance at something. You know, all of us have second chances. We all need second chances. I heard about a little boy who went out into his back garden to play baseball. He had a cap. He had the bat. He had a ball. And he threw the ball up in the air and he swung the bat. And he missed and the ball fell on the ground, and he said, strike one. So he got into his position again, got ready, got the bat, ball up in the air, massive swing, the ball fell down on the ground. Strike two, he said. Last chance. He got ready. He psyched himself up. You know what? I'm the best batter in the world. The best one. The one when the pressure is on, I never miss. He threw the ball up into the air. He focused. The ball was coming down and he swung his bat and missed. Strike three, you're out, he said. And then he jumped up in the air. Yeah, I'm the best pitcher in the world. You know, we all need those kind of attitudes that kind of mindset, that kind of attitude. Because there are all times in our lives, there's always times where we strike out. There's times in our life where we swing the bat and we miss. And we're dying for a second chance, or a third chance, or a fourth chance. You know the good news about Easter? Is that God gives us a second chance. Read with me from Mark chapter 16. I love this passage. Mark chapter 16, verse 1. He says this, When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, brought spices so that they might go and anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? 
But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You're looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him? But go tell his disciples and Peter, he's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. You know, Peter had messed up big time. In Mark chapter 14, verse 30, 31, do you remember Jesus said, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. You ever been told something like that and still you mess up? How could Peter do that? Like Jesus had told him, not, not just a few hours before, hey, you're going to mess up. No, not me. Certainly not me. I am not going to mess up. These other guys, yeah, but not me, Jesus. I'm not going to mess up. I will guarantee you I will not mess up. And Jesus just went, Peter, you're going to mess up. You're going to deny me three times. No, 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 no. You don't know me like I know me, Jesus. You ever been caught up in something like that? Have you ever done something that you later regret? How many of you live with regrets? I was reading about Billy Graham. He tells about a conversation he had with John F. Kennedy shortly after his election. He says this in his autobiography, Just As I Am. He says, on the way back to the Kennedy house, the president-elect stopped the car and turned to me. He said, do you believe in the second coming of Jesus Christ? I most certainly do, said Billy. Well, does my church believe it? They have it in the creeds, Billy said. Well, then they don't preach it much, John F. said. They don't tell us much about it. I'd like to know what you think. And so Billy Graham said he explained what the Bible said about Christ coming the first time, dying on the cross, rising from the dead, and then promising that he would come back again. Only then, Billy said, are we going to have permanent world peace. Very interesting, John F. said. He said, we'll have to talk some more about that someday. And then they parted ways. Several years later, the two men met again at a national prayer breakfast. Billy said, I had the flu. And so after he gave his short talk, he was exhausted. And he walked out to the hotel, to his car, and John F. was with him. And at the curb, John F. Kennedy turned to Billy Graham and said, Billy, would you ride with me back to the White House? I'd like to see you for a minute. I've got some questions I want to ask you. Mr. President, he said, I've got a fever. Not only that I'm weak, 
but I don't want to give you the flu that I've got. Couldn't we wait and talk some other time? He said he remembers it was a cold, snowy day. He was freezing as he stood there without his overcoat. Of course, John F. said graciously. Before they had a chance to meet again, Kennedy was shot dead. And Graham, Billy Graham says that his hesitation at that car door and his request has haunted me for the rest of my life. What was on his mind? What questions was he going to ask me? What could I have imparted about the Lord Jesus if I'd ever taken that ride with him? You know, we all live with those moments. Peter must have been full of regret. Maybe it was because of his character. You know, Peter was a kind of impetuous kind of guy, wasn't he? Today we would call him a free spirit. It was a guy that in, in Matthew chapter 14, when he saw Jesus walking on the water, he said, Hey, Jesus, tell me to come out of the boat and I'll, let me walk towards you. And Jesus said, hey, come then. And it was the spirit that got Peter out of that boat and started to walk on the water. Now, unless you've got a free spirit like that, you'll always remain in the boat. You'll never get out and get onto the water because you'll start thinking, well, this is crazy. I mean, Jesus can do it, but me? But Peter wasn't like that. He just said, hey, see this opportunity? Hey, Jesus, let me just come to you. And then we know how that ended. But the thing is that Peter, for the rest of his life, could tell his children and his grandchildren, I walked on water briefly. None of the other disciples could say that. They could say, we saw Peter doing it. And their children and grandchildren would have said, hey, why didn't you have a go? No, oh, that's silly. Getting out of the boat, walking on water, you've got to be kidding me. But Peter, his character was impetuous. And that meant that he could do things that other people were afraid to do. It also means in Mark chapter 9 that sometimes he put his foot in his mouth. Do you remember on Mount Transfiguration? When Jesus is there with Elijah and Moses and he says, hey, I've got a great idea. God, listen to this one. Let's build a tent, one for each of you, so that you can just stay up here with us. And they go, oh my goodness, he doesn't understand. Peter, just be quiet. You ever, are you like that? Are you the sort of person that speaks first? And then thinks about what you said afterwards. Some people are like that. It just comes bubbling out of the mouth. And then they think, oh, why did I say that? Whereas others, more cautious. They think. In our art class in school, we had this above the blackboard. That was blackboard days in those days. Engage brain before operating mouth. That was there. 
can't remember anything about art class except for that saying above the blackboard. But you know, if you do that, then you'll never get out the boat sometimes. Maybe it was the circumstance of Peter. We thought about that a little bit on Maundy Thursday in our service. Here he is, wanting to follow Jesus. And so he goes into the temple courts. But there, when they say, do you know Jesus? This internal struggle starts. He wants to be with Jesus. He wants to support Jesus, but he wants to hide at the same time. He doesn't want to be recognized. He wants him, and he's not run away like all the others, but at the same time. There's self-preservation. And when danger comes, all of us have those moments where we just try and hide ourselves and do whatever we need to do to preserve ourselves. Sometimes we call it a white lie, don't we? It's just a little lie, but it's a lie that's going to protect me because I don't want to, and it'll be okay. We justify it. It's just a little lie, but i got to protect myself. God will understand. But Peter, the result, in Mark chapter 14, verse 72, it says, when that cock crowed the second time, and he remembered the words of Jesus, he broke down and he wept bitterly. He was completely crushed. He was completely fallen apart. And he said, you know what? I'm a failure. I've let Jesus down. I know he said it. I remember the words now. I don't know why I didn't remember them before. I am the worst. How could I do that? How? How could I allow that to happen? When I said all those things and everything that he had said and the promises he made must have come flooding into his mind. And he felt completely shattered. But look at our reading today. Mark chapter 16, verse 7. One of the most beautiful verses in the whole of Scripture. Jesus said, or the angel said, go Tell his disciples and Peter. You know, God wanted him to know above all the others. God said, you know what? I'm going to make an individual application to the words of Jesus on the cross. Father, forgive them. Father, forgive the disciples for running away, but forgive Peter because he's broken. He's a failure. He's messed up. You know what the message of Easter is? That our failures and our regrets are never, ever greater than the love and the power and the forgiveness of God. Did you hear me? Your failures, your regrets are never bigger 
than the love and the power and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. He is bigger than our mistakes. He says it to Peter. Tell the disciples, they ran away. But tell Peter in particular that Jesus is stronger. Jesus is greater. Jesus wants him still. You see, Peter was singled out for forgiveness. The love, the extent of God, the intentionality of God is to each one of us. He leaves the 99 and he goes and he finds the one. Because he says you're worth it. But it's more than that. Because in those words, and Peter, he's saying also that our failures in the past do not define or determine what our future will become. You see, Peter had messed up. Peter was a failure. Peter had let down. He'd even effectively lied to Jesus and said, no, I'm going to do this. And then he didn't. But it didn't define his future. Jesus didn't keep his finger pointed at him and said, hey, I'm going to bring this up all the time. You know what? I can't trust you because you let me down when I needed you the most. Not only were you asleep with the other disciples in Gethsemane, not only did you run, not only did you not even understand and you cut off that ear of that guy and I had a fix it back on, not only all of that, then, then you came and you denied me. Three times, not just once or twice. And three times in the Bible, anytime it's three, it means the ultimate. It's like the complete denial. You can't get more denial than three times. Three times you did it. You completely and utterly said, I don't know him. I don't want to know him. I never want to know him. I'm going to I don't know him. But Jesus said, you know what? I still have a future for you. You see, God gives us a second chance. Somebody asked Winston Churchill once, what prepared him most for that moment where he decided to take Britain into war against Nazi Germany? You know what he said? He said it was the moment that he had to repeat a year in school. And they said, you mean you failed a year in school? He said, no, I've never failed anything in my life. I was always given a second opportunity to get it right. You see the difference? You see, sometimes we can think that, hey, I got to the end of the year, I didn't pass, I've got to repeat it, and that's failure. Man, I've met, what a waste. Number of times I've heard people say that, what a waste of time. No, it's never a waste of time. Like Churchill said, you've got an opportunity to get it right this time. 
You've got an opportunity to make changes. You've got an opportunity to do something different. You've got an opportunity to grow from what you learned before and, and use that time, use that, that t- learning that's gone on and do something different to make it better, to make it right, to succeed where the first time you struggled. And God says to you and to me and to Peter here, you know what? You may well feel like you've messed up. You may well be broken. But that doesn't define what's going to happen in the future. I'm going to use that. I'm going to use those experiences that you're going through. And I'm going to take them and mold them within you so that in the future they can be used for blessing and for benefit. Because I know the plans I have for you. You look at the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. You know what I read? I read a book after book after book of failure. Don't you? Think about it. You name one person apart from Jesus in the Bible that wasn't a failure. Can you do it? Adam. Not a good start. Eve. Not a good start. Cain. Not great. Abel. Okay. Uh, Moses. Nope. Abraham. Nope. David. Definitely not. Where do you want to go? Jonah. Smelt like fish because of his failure. Where do you want to, you know, you name person after person after person. What happens? God takes what we look at as failure and transforms it into blessing. Your failures, your regrets, my failures, my regrets do not determine, do not define what God has for you in the future. The Bible from Genesis to Revelation is a witness to people like you and me who were not defined. Samson, the adulterous woman, the woman at the well, the disciples, Paul. We could just keep going on from Genesis to Revelation naming people. People like Peter. What did Jesus do? He said to Peter, I got work for you. I got a future for you. You see, our failures don't define or determine what our future will become. If we release them to God, He will do something unique. But it's even more than that. You see, God gives us more than just a second chance. God gives us a new start. He gives us more than a second chance. He doesn't just give us the ability to do it again. You know, when I'm golfing, I'm a really poor golfer, by the way. I'm one of those guys that needs a whole bag full of balls just to get round, you know? I count my round on the number of balls. If I, you know, if I find more in the trees from other bad golfers than I start with, then it's a successful round for me. That's, that's how good I am. But I have fun anyway. But like in golf, right? I, I remember I tried it once in church years ago. I'll never do it again. 
I had these little air balls, these plastic ones, right? And I was up there. And I was, I was shooting balls out like this, right? Hooking them off one way or the other. And I remember one ball went towards this dear old lady that was sitting there. It was about to hit her on the head. And I'm thinking, this was a really bad idea. And then somebody, fortunately, from behind, grabbed it just as it hit her right in the head because she didn't see it coming. I was thinking, oh, thank, thank you, Lord. So I didn't bring my clubs today. But you know, in golf, you hook one off and you go, nobody's looking at me. I'll, I'll just drop another one. Like, try again. You haven't moved. You're doing exactly the same shot. You're just trying to do it a second time, right? You're in the same place. You're not further down. You're not, you're not going a different angle. You haven't picked the ball up and say, you know what, this is too tricky. I'm going to try from over here somewhere. No, you have to do it from the same place. But God is not like that. Because he doesn't just give you a second chance. He gives you a new start. He doesn't just say, repeat it again until you get it right. He says, you know what? The old has gone and the new has come. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Behold, you are a new creation. Later today, we're going to have some baptisms. That's what baptism is all about, isn't it? They go under the water because the old has gone and they come up new because it's a new start. That's what it's all about. And God continually, for you and for me, gives us new starts. The old has gone. There was for Peter a new pathway, a new opportunity. He didn't just say, Peter, you're going to be the same old Peter. You're going to be the same impetuous Peter. You're going to be the same guy. You're going to be the same one that keeps putting your foot in your mouth. You're going to be the same disciple as you were before. He didn't say that. In John 21, he says, you know what? I'm going to give you more responsibility. I'm going to give you a new beginning. Peter, feed my sheep. Peter, take care of my lambs. Peter, feed my sheep. He had a new opportunity, a new vision, a new way forwards, a new character. Peter was a different man than he was before. He wasn't doing the same things over and over and over again. This was the Peter that stood up at Pentecost and started preaching. The one that 50 days before was crying like a baby because he felt such a failure. And God said, you know what? You're going to be different. You're going to be a new person. The old has gone and the new has come. You see, Easter speaks to us that message that Christ's victory was won. Not only for our forgiveness for the things that we mess up. Not even because it restores our relationship with the Father. Not even because it gives us a second chance but because it gives us a possibility for more than we ever had before. God won for you a fullness of life, a vitality, a joy, a purpose, a plan for you that is different from the past. He said, I'm going to make you new. I'm going to give you new things. There's new directions I want you to go in. There's new things I want you to do. There's new avenues I want you to explore. 
Because of Easter, because of what Jesus has won for us on the cross, there is a constant renewal in you and in me. If we embrace the Easter message, go tell the disciples and Peter. Tell him that he's not just forgiven. That he's a failure no more. Tell him not just that he gets a second chance. But tell him that I have something new for him. Do you remember when in John 21 when Jesus speaks to Peter on the beach? What does Peter have to do? He says, Peter, do you love me? What does Peter do? Stands there. He says, what? Yes, Lord. You know that I love you. You know, for a new start for you and for me, that's exactly what we have to do too. Jesus says, you know what? I died for you. But I rose again for you too. I have forgiven all your mistakes. Because your mistakes are not bigger than my love. Not only have I forgiven all your failures, all your regrets, all your mistakes. But I'm giving you a new chance, a second chance. But not only that, I'm giving you new responsibility. I'm giving you new opportunity. I'm giving you a new future and a new way forwards. What you and I have to do is to say, yes, Lord. Amen. I accept it. I want it. I desire it. I receive your forgiveness. So I'm not going to define myself by my failures. But I'm going to look forwards and define myself by everything you have in store for me. You understand? You know, you can go through life and you can drag up every failure that you want to drag up. I have thousands, millions. Probably more than that if I talk to my wife. She'll remind me, I'm sure. She wouldn't. But you know what I'm saying? You can go through life. Oh, I wish I hadn't done that. I wish I had. Oh, what an idiot. Why did I? Oh. Or you can go through life saying, you know what, I'm going to look forwards. The past is behind me for the future. Take me. Lord of my life, to live for Christ alone. That's what Peter did. When Jesus, when the angel said, and Peter, when Jesus came to him and said, you know what? I don't want to hear any more about your past. I don't want to, I'm not going to drag up. You love me? Then feed my sheep. I've got work for you to do. Peter went on and said, yes, Lord. I want to do what you want me to do. I want to go where you want me to go. I will even die for you. If that's what you want. What about you today? 
years ago on New Year's Day in the United States. American football, they play a game called the Rose Bowl between two universities. In 1929, it was Georgia Tech and the University of California. And during the first half of the game, there was a player by the name of Roy Regals. And he recovered a fumble from California University. They dropped the ball and he picked it up. And there was just players all diving in around him. And he was on the California 35-yard line. So he only had 35 yards to go to the end zone. But when he picked up the ball and everybody was just jumping all around him, trying to tackle him and everything else, he got a bit confused. And he ended up running the wrong way, 65 yards. He was about to touch down in his own end zone and give California. Everybody was screaming at him, but he was just so focused on getting to the end zone, he didn't realize it was the wrong direction completely. On the one-yard line, one of his players tackled him and pulled him down. He was so embarrassed. He was distraught. It was just before halftime, and California had the ball, and they ended up scoring. At halftime, the coach called all the players over. And Regals was sitting there with a towel over his head, just crying. He said, I, I, what can I do? What can I say? What an idiot. The coach usually said loads during the halftime talk. This time he just got the men around and he said nothing. And then just before they were due to go back on, he said the team that finished the first half is the team that starts the second. And all the team went back on the pitch, except Regals. He sat there, towel over his head, crying. And the coach came up to him and said, you didn't hear me, Regals. I said, the team that finished the first half is the team that starts the second half. And he said, I can't do it. I've disgraced you. I've disgraced my university. I've disgraced myself. I can't face that crowd. Coach put his hand, Coach Price, and he said, get up. Go back on. The game is only half over. They say they'd never seen a man play quite as hard with so much passion as that man played in the second half. But that's what God says to you and to me. Because that's what he said to the people from Genesis to Revelation. To Jacob, to Moses, to David, to Abraham, to Samson, to Peter, 
to Jonah, to Paul, to thousands of men and women since then. He said, you know what? There's work for you to do. You may have messed up. You may feel like a failure. You may be embarrassed. But I have work for you to do. And it's not over yet. Get back in the game. Because my love for you, my power within you, my presence in your life is stronger and deeper than anything you think can define you. Go tell the disciples, but go tell especially Peter that I've risen and I have work for you to do. As you come to the table today, as we come, as we eat and as we drink, and as some of you are coming and you feel like you've let God down, that you're not worthy. That how can he use you? What have you got to offer? You know what Easter says? Easter says his power is greater. His love is deeper. That you are not defined by your past. You are defined by the cross of Jesus Christ. And that cross is empty because he has won the victory in your life and in mine, in his church and over this world. So as you come today, come knowing that he says, get back in the game. Keep going because I have work for you to do. There are things I want to do in your life. I want to give you more than you can ever imagine. I want to do things in you that are greater than what I've done in the past. All you need to do when you kneel before his cross today is to say like Peter, yes, Lord, thank you. Amen. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the Easter message that your love is greater that your power is stronger, that the cross and the tomb are empty because you have risen. And your love is so great that you call each one of us. He said, go tell everybody, but tell, tell my son, tell my daughter how much I love them, how far I'm willing to go for them, and how much... I'm willing to do so that their past does not define their future. That there are things I want to do in them. There are blessings I want to bring them. There are blessings I want to pour through them. If only they would say yes. And focus on the future and not on the past. Focus on me and not on the life around them. Fix your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And then all the mistakes 
all the failures, all the regrets, all the things of this world, the things of our lives grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. May that be true for each one of us today. As we come and as we kneel at his table. For we ask this in the name of Christ. Amen.